is that in God's pattern of Sabbath rest, that Sabbath rest is always restorative for greater fruitfulness. It's always restorative for greater fruitfulness. Now, I believe that that's true for us as individuals, as well as it is for nature. I don't believe that we should keep Sabbath to be right with God. I think we keep Sabbath to revitalize us so that we can be more effective and more fruitful in the things of God. Taking time off work for a vacation is restorative. That's exactly what Sabbath rest does for us all. As Pastor Daniel explains today, we can be more fruitful when we're revitalized through resting in Him. In this part of Exodus, we hear about resting the land so it will rejuvenate. The same is true for us. It can seem scary to walk by faith and know what God will provide, but we can trust in Him to care for us. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, Parties and Promises. You know what I love about the concept of loving your enemies? Is that God asks each one of us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to be a blessing no matter what. We are here to be ambassadors of God's blessing in the world. And God's blessing is not that everything goes right or that everyone treats us right. Is that instead of being reactive to someone's evil, we are proactive, jihadists in love, extremists in love, going to the next step, being all the way over the top loving. And when someone, when we do something like that to someone who doesn't like us, they're totally bewildered by it. They're like, why would you do that? And you say, well, listen, if it was up to me, I wouldn't do it at all. Frankly, I don't like you very much. (laughs) But I believe, I believe in a God whose love is greater than my issues with you. And I believe God loves you and I'm working on it. And I was happy to be able to help you. And you know what? In and of myself, I would never have done that. But God's working on me. Will you pray for me? Talk about a mod, yeah. Maybe you don't want to quote all of that. The first part was a little cheeky. But, but you guys get the picture, right? Because that's the gospel. The gospel is that God is making me into what I'm not. Jesus lived the life I couldn't live. And he died the death that I deserved, that I may have a spirit that I never deserved, that I may be different than I was yesterday. I used to be vindictive. I used to be selfish. I used to be downright mean. But now God has given me a love that I never, ever could have fathomed. And that love is changing me from the inside out. And I feel weird about it, but it's happening. That's what the gospel does. The life of God in your soul and my soul, it's profound what it does to us. But it does a work and it makes us different. And it feels awkward when we're different in the beginning until that awkwardness becomes the new normal. So brothers, sisters, love your enemies. Find ways to do good by the people who have wronged you. Be a child of God, transforming your community, your world. Love takes your enemies and makes them your friends. Love does. Transforms enemies into friends transforms broken relationships into family relationships 
That's what Jesus does. That's what he does. Now, notice what happens, verse 6. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. Verse 8. And you shall take no bribe. For a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger. For you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So again, he goes back to perverting justice. Do not pervert the judgment of your poor in their dispute. So just before, don't side with the poor just because they're poor. Now, don't side against the poor just because they're poor. Notice verse 7, keep yourself far from a false matter. I like that because to me, that is one of those fence verses right there. Keep yourself far from a false matter. And that's important for us because how often is it do we get kind of close to those type of things? Some garbage is going on and because our friends are involved or our our business is involved, we get real close to it. Just stay, stay far away from it. You get close enough to a fire, you're gonna get burned. That's what it's saying there. Notice, I won't justify the wicked. You see that? In the end of verse seven, God takes this seriously. Now, don't get me wrong. We know that we're all wicked and we're justified because of our faith in Jesus. But don't get me wrong either that we are still, our works are still tried with fire before the judgment seat of Christ. We're not saved by works. We're saved unto works. And we know what we believe and value based on what we do. And none of us can do the works to get into heaven, but because we're saved, our works should become a long line with those things. So our works are in response, and we know what we love, what we value, based on what we do. I've heard it said a lot of times, you can tell what somebody values by their calendar and their checkbook. Because what you devote your time to and what you devote your finances to, that's what you value the most. And that's a true statement, because what it's saying is that whatever your, your God is, you devote your time and your treasures to. It's kind of a sobering thought. I remember the first time I heard that, I went, I looked at my calendar, I looked at my checkbook, and I got pretty depressed. It's like, man. But I had to reevaluate my life. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Now, notice what it says in verse 8. You shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. It's interesting we know that bribery is wrong, it's punishable by imprisonment in our culture, but there is something insidious when money is involved, isn't it? Oftentimes, money makes us do really dumb things. And so we have to be careful. Bribes, it blinds the discerning. People who'd normally be good when money's involved can make pretty terrible decisions. Notice, verse 9, you shall not oppress a stranger for you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I like this. Because compassion should be the strongest motivator for us to live righteously. So he's saying, look, don't oppress somebody who's a foreigner in the land because you know what it's like to be a foreigner. You were that way in Egypt and you know how it felt. See, and I think what goes on, and we start talking about foreigners in the land, obviously immigration becomes a part of that. And I realize immigration is a hot-button political issue. Politics is never based on compassion. You guys realize that, right? Politics is always based on somebody getting elected again. You making you angry at somebody for something. 
And listen, I realize people got to run every, just pretty much an election every year, so people are always running. But listen, we need to view things compassionately. Compassionately. Why? Because Jesus was so compassionate that he became sin for us. He took on our sins. He understands them. So all I'm saying, I'm not telling you how to believe politically. I'm just saying that we need to be compassionate people. Because you know what? We weren't with the children of Israel some 4,000 years ago when they were slaves in Egypt, but we know what it's like to be slaves, don't we? Because each one of us have been slaves to sin. And we've been delivered by the free gift of grace of Jesus. And when you look at someone who's being oppressed because they are slaves, we all know what that feels like, and Jesus delivered us from it. So compassion, love for a resident alien is not based on mere humanism, but it's based on the reality that we know what it's like to be strangers in a strange land. So it causes us to live and think differently. Now, verse 10, we go to concerning the laws of the Sabbath. It says this, six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year... You shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. In the manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove, six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect, And make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Now, notice here that there are two different Sabbath laws. We know that the Sabbath law comes, of course, from the seven days of creation, Genesis chapter 1, 1 to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. The seventh day, the Sabbath day, when God rested from his, his labors, Because of that, God has ordained here two different, two different Sabbath laws. One is a land Sabbath. Notice what it says, that for six years you shall sow in the land and gather its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. Why? That the poor may eat, that the beasts of the field may eat. You should do it with your vineyard and your olive grove. Now, what's interesting about this is so that you should work a field for six years. On the seventh year, you let it rest. Why? It's a form of internal welfare for people who are poor because on the year that you're not cultivating, things will grow wild. So what's interesting about the Sabbath laws as it relates to produce is that part of it is meant to provide for the poor people in the land and also for the animals that they can go and graze in the field. So what that tells us is that it's not always in our best interest to reap all the profits that we could when some of the profits can be diverted for the betterment of humanity. That's what it says. Now, what's also interesting about this, if you guys were to read agriculture, what they found is that when you cycle through fields and you let a field lay fallow, what happens? It refertilizes. So what's interesting is that in God's pattern of Sabbath rest, that Sabbath rest is always restorative for greater fruitfulness. It's always restorative for greater fruitfulness. Now, I believe that that's true for us as individuals, 
as well as it is for nature. I don't believe that we should keep Sabbath to be right with God. I think we keep Sabbath to revitalize us so that we can be more effective and more fruitful in the things of God. And I want to encourage you to it, not as a law, not as like, I can't do anything, it's the Sabbath, so I'm just like sitting here and, you know, like, that's kind of stressful. But listen, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Life in Christ is a marathon, not a sprint. And you don't go full bore 24 hours a day in a marathon. You find times when you lay back. You find times when you push ahead. And so the Sabbath is designed for these reasons. And you know what's amazing about this idea of them working the land for six years and then letting it lay fallow? Because it reminds them that all of their provision comes from God, not from the work of their own hands. And what it, it doesn't mean that you, every seventh year, you never work because people would rotate their fields. So there's always fields to work, but you always leave an area undone so that it can rejuvenate people who have needs. You're like, man, you could just take what's in there. The animals of the field, they could just come and graze in the field. You're like, you're stealing my best grapes. You're stealing my best olives. You're letting it happen because you're saying, God, I trust you. And you know what's interesting? The children of Israel, when they got in the promised land, They stopped doing this, and that's why they ended up in exile in Babylon for 70 years, because for 490 years, they skipped the land Sabbaths. And God says, guess what? You guys owe me 70. So I'm going to take 70 by popping you off the land. Why? Because they didn't trust God. And listen, I'm going to put it right down where the rubber meets the road. Part of our struggle with taking a Sabbath day or not reaping all the profits because we want to try and help people is because we don't trust God. It's hard. See, I always say this. Walking by faith is hard because you got to walk by faith, and we'd rather walk by sight. Walking by sight makes sense. We can see it. But when God says, look, you don't need to make all the profits because you can take some of those profits, you can help other people, you're like, but Lord, what about me? And so instead of trusting God, you do it your own way, And then you're always like, well, if I don't do it, I'm not going to be able to provide for myself. Who are we really trusting in? And God doesn't say, don't ever work. He doesn't say, just be lazy. He's not recommending apathy. He's recommending hard work, but with a healthy trust in him. That's what he's recommending. And so for you and for me, we need to keep coming back to this idea of Sabbath, this idea of rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I know there's some of you in here today. You're trying every which way you can to make God happy with you. You're doing all these things, and maybe you're failing, and you're saying, I just, I'm just trying to get right with God. Listen, stop from your labor and trust in Jesus. Jesus is your Sabbath rest. You do not have to work to get into God's kingdom. You just have to trust to get into God's kingdom. God's not looking for your worthiness. Jesus is already infinitely worthy in your place. And what happens when you stop working to get in and you simply respond to Jesus, you do more works than you could ever do, but your identity is not tied up in those works. You're just like, man, I just love God. I'm just trying to help somebody. That motivation changes everything. And how many of us We love the Lord, but we're in a works-based cycle that's killing us. 
We're trying, I'm just failing, I'm failing. God's angry with me. Brother, sister, God's not angry with you. All of God's anger with you, he gave to Jesus on the cross. That's the gospel. And he accepts you as his own. He's not mad at you. He's not trying to work you over. He loves you so much, he gave his own son. So, man, we need to enter that Sabbath rest. Now, we're going to see the Sabbath stuff going on again, over and over again. Leviticus 25, it's going to be there again. And notice verse 13, or verse 12, we have the Sabbath law again. But notice, it's also about letting the oxen rest, letting the donkey rest, and letting your servants rest. So part of the Sabbath is also letting everybody rest so that everybody can be rejuvenated, not just us individually, but for others around us. And then it says in verse 13, and in all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Now notice that. The Sabbath laws are tied to idolatry. They're tied to them. Because the idea of the Sabbath rest is meant to be one day out of the week that you devote to nurture your spiritual life. Doesn't mean you shouldn't nurture your spiritual life every day. But know what happens oftentimes when we stop to rest? God speaks in a still, small voice. And in the midst of a frantic culture, it's very hard to hear his voice if you never take a chill pill, take a break, and spend time with the Lord. And so God's all saying, listen, I want you to be careful don't even mess with other gods. Because what you're going to find is the children of Israel, they're going to get into the promised land. They're going to stop trusting the Lord. They're going to stop taking the Sabbath. They're going to stop letting their lands lay fallow. And you're going to find them worshiping other gods all over the place. And we do the same thing, right? If we do not cultivate our relationships with God, if we do not make sure that we get into his presence, get into his word, spend some time in prayer, other gods come knocking and we're easy prey. We're just ready for it because we're not plugged in. We're not tuned in to who God is and what he's about. So oftentimes I think, and you know, you guys have all heard it, when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, you guys heard that halt? I think Charles Stanley was the guy who I first heard use that. That that's when sin happens. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And you know what the Sabbath day does for you? You don't get hungry because you eat. You're not angry because you're calmed down. You're not lonely because you spent time with the people you love, and you're not tired because you're rested. And then temptation, although it'll still come, we're not as susceptible to it. We're not. Now, as we move to verse 14, I like this, because now we start getting into God's parties. It's, it's kind of a cool thing. God's into parties. He puts them in here. Look at this. Look what it says. Three times a year you shall keep a feast to me in the year. When I see the word feast, that means a party to me. When food's involved, it's a good time. Three times a year, I like that. Right now we have Christmas and Easter. We need to add a couple extras. They got three. Never mind. Listen. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you. Verse 15, at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None of you shall appear before me empty. So three times a year we have every able-bodied male is expected to be in Jerusalem for a feast. Now, first you have the feast of unleavened bread, which is also tied with the feast of Passover. Okay, it's in the first month of the calendar year, in the springtime. Part of it was 
You got to eat bread without yeast. So uh, matzah is the common word that we use for it. And notice, it's a seven-day feast with a festival on both ends. But one of the things is that you can't eat any leaven. Why? Because the Passover, we know Jesus was called the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world because he's the Passover Lamb. And Jesus, the bread of life, was without sin. That's where all of that comes from. That, and we talked about that when we were looking at Exodus chapter 10, 11, and 12. So that's the very first one. Now notice next, verse 16. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field. So that's the second one. The feast of harvest is also called the feast of weeks, which ended up ultimately being called the feast of Pentecost. It's all the same thing. Why? Because it happened... Seven weeks after the end of Passover, seven weeks, the next day, the 50th day, which is Greek Pentecost, that's this feast of harvest. Now, don't miss this. This was the first fruits of the spring harvest. And it's not by chance that the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was the first fruits of the harvest of souls in the dispensation with the finished work of Jesus. Do you see that? When you read it in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people get saved. That's the first fruits harvest festival of God. And it lines exactly up, exactly up with God's laws. 50 days after Passover, that's when it happens. That's why all those people in Acts chapter 2 from all those different Languages are there in Jerusalem because they're there celebrating the Feast of the Harvest, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost. But now we realize that the Feast of Pentecost, just like the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread, means more than just a commemoration of what's gone on in the past. It's meant to be prophetic, to point the people to something that God's going to do when the Messiah comes. So that Feast of Pentecost is powerful. It's a Feast of first fruits. The first people who get their lives changed by the Spirit, by the finished work of God. And then in the middle of verse 16, notice it says, and the Feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you are gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. So the Feast of ingathering is also called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a Thanksgiving festival. And it happens at the end of the year. Now, what's interesting about this, and I'm going to get to this, and we'll do a more thorough treatment of all these feasts, is that the Feast of Booths, Tabernacles, it's all the same thing that's at the end of the year. That's a fall feast. And what's interesting is just as all the spring feasts point to Jesus in his first coming, all the fall feasts point to Jesus in his second coming. So if you're like, hmm, I don't know about that, go read Leviticus chapter 23. It'll take me probably about a year to get there. But good things come to those who wait. And we'll get there and we'll look at that a little bit more in depth when we get there. Notice verse 17, three times in a year, all of your males shall appear before the Lord God. Jesus is Sabbath rest is meant to be rejuvenating. Today, Pastor Daniel helped us to consider how we view resting in God. The Father wants us to devote time to our spiritual health and relationship with Him. 
If we don't cultivate that relationship, other gods creep in. It's our joy to bring you Jesus is Real Radio each day here on this station. We want to give you the opportunity to partner with us here at Jesus is Real Radio so we can bring the ministry to as many people as possible. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you can help spread God's Word by becoming a monthly supporter or by giving a one-time gift. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus Is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus Is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share about what happens when we take the beliefs of the world and try to mix a little Jesus in. It's a common trap to try and toe that line between the world and God and fail. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, Sinai, next time. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.